Well, it's been a six-week break for Advent, and, uh, but today we're back to the story. And uh, we continue on this journey that we began last fall through the entire narrative of the Bible. And uh, this is a bold undertaking. We're using a resource called The Story, this, uh, this book that, that really is, is a, uh, excerpts and, and tells the whole biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation. And we're not only preaching on this, uh, through this narrative on Sunday mornings, but our growth groups, as Aaron mentioned, are jumping back into it uh, this week as well. So if you're part of one, get back in. If you haven't been a part of a growth group, there's no uh, better time to start than the present. And part of our hope has been that we would each get a, a more uh, overall grasp on the story of Scripture, to get a better familiarity of the characters and some of the key events that go on in the pages of Scripture. And, and I've heard the stories and the reports from many of the growth group leaders and from many of you about how your eyes are being opened or you're being reminded or you're reading some new things that you didn't even know were there. And, and Scripture is really coming alive in some new and some fresh ways to you. And that is really good to hear. There's so much to discover and learn from the Bible. And it really doesn't matter, as you know, if you've read it lots of times before, or if maybe this is your first time to really engage with Scripture, there is, there is wonderful things to be reminded of and new lessons at every point along the way. Ultimately, though, our hope is not just that we would each get into this story, though, that we would learn its content better and, and uh, be able to have a clear understanding of what's going on. It's our, it's our hope even more so that this story would be getting into us. That the words that we read, the characters that we meet, the, the events that we learn of would be teaching us and shaping us in some new ways. And we would be having within us a, a new openness to the God who is revealed in these pages. And, and a new obedience, really, to the, to the life that we're called to in in the scripture. The book of Hebrews, we haven't gotten there yet, but it tells us that the word of God is living and active. And we just believe that if we put ourselves before this, this word of God, that God will be faithful to be active in our lives. I was talking to somebody just a couple weeks ago who I play basketball with, and, and uh, he, he likes to give me spiritual check-ins. He's not a part of our church, but he likes to kind of tell me how he's doing. And uh, he showed me his phone, and, and he's been marking down the daily scriptures that he's been reading. And he said, look at there, Kinsler. I'm reading. I'm, do I'm doing it, and it's good. And I said, well, I'm proud of you, man. And I, I just asked him, I said, so do you think it's more about the, the content of what you're reading every day, or is it just the fact that you're reading every day and you're putting yourself before God in such a way that he might be able to, to teach you something new and and maybe just the, the, the confidence that comes from knowing that. And he said, you know, I think it's both. I think it's both. I think it's, it's content, absolutely. There's certain things that jump out. But, but just the fact of putting myself by discipline and by devotion into this place where God might be able to speak to me and shape me in a new way for the word of God to get into us. This is really what we're after. We're 13 weeks in of a 31-week study. So we're not quite halfway, but we're getting there. And if you've read the Bible, any parts of it, you know that it really just gets better and better. And so uh, it's just going to just even go uphill from here. So the, uh, the, this is a good thing. So welcome or welcome back to the story, finding your place in the story of God. So back at the end of November, maybe some of you remember, Rolf Geiling preached our last uh, message in the fall from this series, and he preached on the life of David the second king of Israel after uh, Saul, and a man after God's own heart, and yet a man who, if you know anything about David, if you remember, he had experienced the, the high highs and the, and the low lows, and uh, he had experienced the depths of life and the heights of God's grace and forgiveness. And today we're moving on to David's son, the next king of Israel, Solomon, and his story that's told in the book of 1 Kings. Like father, like son, this is a story filled with high highs 
and low lows, mountains of grandeur and valleys of despair. And uh, the passage I want to read you today comes as Solomon has endured a, a power struggle, really, at the end of David's life, a family internal power struggle for, for the kingship of Israel. And Solomon has endured and he has won out, and largely he did that in, by the, the input and influence of his mom, Bathsheba. And Solomon was the second child born to David and Bathsheba. The first one had died, as you may remember, out of the uh, uh, results of the, the relationship that David and Bathsheba had had. But she had come and made a strong plea to David uh, for Solomon to be the next king of Israel and indeed, here he was now on the throne. So 1 Kings, and at the end of chapter 2 of 1 Kings, it simply says the kingdom was now firmly established in Solomon's hands. So with this in mind, we're going to read chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me. And I'd love to invite you to stand as I read these words to us. 1 Kings, chapter 3. Verses 1 through 15. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, and that was the most import, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and Righteous and upright in heart, you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people. And to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So, Solomon, so God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his courts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Solomon is essentially remembered for three main things. And this passage touches on all three at some level. And I want to just kind of recount these for us. The, the first is that Solomon is remembered as a man filled with wisdom. He was filled with wisdom. There it is. And this passage recounts the story of, of, of Solomon being invited by God to ask for whatever it is that he wanted. Genie in the bottle, I mean, did you rub my lamp kind of thing? And, and here comes God the Father saying, whatever you want, Solomon, you got it. Just ask. And uh, it prompts us, perhaps, to think in a quick moment, what would I have asked for? If you don't, if you don't wonder that just for a brief moment, then you're interesting. Because I think most of us would, would wonder that. The response of Solomon, though, is that he wanted to have a discerning and wise heart. Look there again at 3.9. At uh, verse 9 he says, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people 
and uh, to distinguish between right and wrong, for who was able to govern this great people of yours? It wasn't even so that he could be really smart. He didn't say, God, give me a wise and discerning heart so everybody can look at me and say, man, that guy has a wise and discerning heart. He's brilliant. He's, he's the smartest guy that ever lived. No, Solomon it seems so genuine. It's like, give me a wise and discerning heart so I can govern your people. I'm just like a little kid. He probably wasn't a little kid at this point, but, uh, but very inexperienced and recognized that his task was huge. And so he asked for God to give him a wise and discerning heart that he could determine what was right and wrong. The story tells us that God grants his request, that he pours out his wisdom, and he says, yes, I will give you this wisdom, and I'll give you all these other things as well, because you didn't ask for them, which is a pretty cool thing as well. Um, and, and we read in these early chapters of 1 Kings about this wisdom that Solomon has. It ultimately brings a lot of good to the people of Israel. Right in the next story, we see an example of his wise ruling and just a sample of how he would, he would deal with the people of Israel. Uh, ultimately, his wisdom not only is good for the people of Israel, but it, it becomes a, a just kind of a, a, a signpost to the world about the wisdom of God. And, and we read in 1 Kings about how people are coming in, dignitaries and leaders uh, from all around the, the neighboring region to, to come in and just see for themselves just how wise and how great this leader is. One of the ways that Solomon shared his great wisdom with the generations was in the Proverbs that he wrote. And many of us are familiar. We've read the, the book of Proverbs, and most of those are written by Solomon, understood to have been these kind of nuggets, these little sayings of practical wisdom. And I'm just looking around. I see some of you have talked to me about the Proverbs and how meaningful that they have been to you in your life. It's 31 of them, and so some people say, you know, a proverb a day keeps the devil away, right? And this is uh, just a wonderful thing and, and ways that we can learn different skills for living and, and how to, to live well in the world. And no doubt the example of Solomon Seeking the wisdom of God above all else is something that we would do well to pay attention to today as well. We need the wisdom of God. Can I just say it as clearly as I can? We need desperately the wisdom of God to guide us and to help us, discerning what is right and what is wrong. We, we need, first of all, humble hearts as Solomon demonstrates here that are willing to admit that we need the wisdom of God. It was the, uh, I've shared this often, but it was the, the man in English parliament hundreds, a couple hundred years ago who stood up in the midst of great debate among the parliamentarians and he just simply said, by the, I beseech ye brethren by the bowels of Christ, admit ye may be wrong. And we need to have this humility to admit that we may be wrong, that our best thinking has not gotten us where we would like to get and where God would want us to get. That we need the wisdom of God to lead us and to help us as we move forward. We need God to give us discernment. The reality is that not everything is black and white in our world. Maybe there was a day Maybe it's kind of gone along with TV. I don't know. When there was black and white TV, there was more black and white issues. Today, it's, it's multicolor. It's HD. We're living in a different world where not everything is black and white. And we, it's not as easy today for older people or younger people to look at a particular issue and say, that's right, that's wrong. It's not. I could, I could list off a number of issues right now, and you would look at me and you would say, well, it depends. It does depend. There's a lot of issues that we face in life that it depends. And so what do we do in the midst of those issues? Do we just kind of flip a coin and hope for the best? Absolutely not. We have to come back and say, God, this is not clear. If I go this way, this means that. And if I go this way, it means that. And I can see this and I can see that. But what's your best way forward? I need your wisdom desperately. I, uh, I remember when I first, having this year with Aaron has just been a lot of fun. I mean, he's been in ministry before he came here, but just having these conversations uh, 
with, with him as he's getting going. And uh, he and Danny are actually filling out their applications for continuing their, their district minister's licenses. It's wonderful stuff. But I'm, I've been reminded just about my first, especially my first like six months in pastoral ministry. And uh, I, I had written a paper one time in seminary, and I remember my, my professor's feedback to me was, he said, uh, Mr. Kinsler, are you planning on pastoring in heaven or on earth? <laughs> and I, I said, well, earth, of course. He said, well, you better write this again then, dude. I mean, you're, you're, you're out of touch. And, but it wasn't until I got here, and, and I mean, many of you weren't here then, but I mean, I just began to come face to face. The veil was being pulled back on human life. And I was coming face to face with the, the things that people were going through and are going through and the choices and the wreckage of so many people's pasts and the, 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 the difficulty of knowing which way to go as they move forward in life. And, and I remember um, uh, someone who is a part of our church now sitting in my office with me who is a little bit older than me and looking at me and saying, why am I telling you these things? <laughs> I was like 27. I said, it's okay, really. <laughs> go ahead. And, and, uh, and in that moment, as I'm saying, go ahead, I'm thinking, God, help me. God, help me. I don't have a clue. I wasn't, this, this wasn't covered in a class. This is brand new, desperate for the wisdom God. And if anything we need to learn, one thing we need to learn from Solomon is that this priority of God's wisdom is what we need. And I would be so thrilled as a pastor to know that our people are waking up each morning and saying, I'm going to face some difficult decisions today, God, and I need your wisdom. I want you to guide me. I don't want it to be my instinct, my reflex, the culture. I don't want it to be what my friends would do. I don't want it to be what I think will advance me the farthest. I want it to be your wisdom that guides my decisions, guides my direction of life, entertainment, drugs, alcohol, parenting, finances, you name it. Andy Stanley wrote a book, The Greatest Question Ever. I know that some of you have studied that. And in the book, The Greatest Question Ever is simply, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? How would God guide us in this? Um, book of James tells us if we need lack wisdom, let's ask for it. God will give it to us generously. Um, in one of those Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you've memorized this and perhaps trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Remember this? In all your ways, you submit to him or acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. Oh, how our lives would be more meaningful, would be uh, more significant, more content if we were to be focused on living out of the resource of God's wisdom. Well, not only known as a man filled with God's wisdom, but known as a man passionate about worship, Solomon was. And this mostly comes out of Solomon's quest to build the temple. And you'll read about it in 1 Kings and in the story this week, if you haven't already, Solomon had this burden, this passion, this quest to see the temple of God, this, this permanent structure in Jerusalem in which the presence of God, the name of God, might dwell. His father David had not had, had this vision, but God had made it clear that David was not to be the one that would build this temple, but that his son would. And Solomon takes on that mantle and he says, yes. I am going to be the one that will build this temple. And it will be beautiful. It will be extravagant. It will be a place worthy of the very presence of God. And we will invite God to dwell among us and dwell with us. We've just come out of a season at Advent and Christmas when we've celebrated the, the dwelling of God with man in Jesus. And before this, there was Solomon longing for the dwelling of God to be with humanity in, in the temple. Look over at chapter 5. I think I have this on the screen, but verse 3 says, You know that because of the wars, this was Solomon speaking, waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple 
for the name of the Lord, his God, until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. I think that's it, yeah. Passionate about worship. Uh, again, how might we follow this example of Solomon in terms of not building an, another physical temple, but in terms of having this passion for the worship of God so drive our lives that we desire with everything that we have and everything that we are to create space for God to dwell. And now again, not talking necessarily about a physical structure, but creating space within our own hearts and within our own lives where God might come and move and work and transform us in new ways, where we might, we might just swing wide the gates of our hearts and of our lives and invite God to come and dwell like perhaps we've never experienced him before. We talked this morning in the adult Bible study about spiritual disciplines. And perhaps along with some of your New Year's resolutions, you have, you have resolved to uh, participate uh, more carefully in the spiritual disciplines, to be disciplined about your spirituality. And uh, to, this is essentially what this is. We're not reading our scripture. We're not bowing in prayer. We're not fasting. We're not expressing or experiencing solitude or submission. We're not doing these things so that we might be like, check us out, God. Look how good we are. Get some stars by my name on that, you know, roll book. Get those extra jewels for my crown ready. I mean, that's not what we're doing by engaging in these spiritual disciplines. What we're doing is we're creating space. We're just building space. We're creating moments and, and, and spiritual space whereby God might come and fill that. As we read, we say, God, fill the space. As we pray, we say, God, fill the space. In fact, I would just say, when we pray, don't do all the talking. When we talk all the time, we don't leave the space as we might for God to speak to us. Fasting. Again, we had our first Wednesdays this last week, and, and I, 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 these have been for almost, almost three years now. Just some wonderful times for our church to engage in a practice that creates space for God to come. When you're hungry physically, there's space being created. And sometimes it's like, give me something to eat space. But as you begin to work through it and allow that discipline to grab hold of your life, it begins to be space that says, God, I'm hungry for you. Come and move. Come and work in my life. This passion for worship that Solomon demonstrates. He, I mean, you, you got, I, I won't read it for you, but you, you should be anxious to read this description. He basically was doubling the size of the tabernacle, that temporary structure that the Israelites had carried around with them doubling the size of it, and, and just, I mean, the gold, the cedar, all the finest materials used to build this, this temple, the furnishings, all displaying Solomon's passion for worship. We have been promised the presence of the Holy Spirit who uh, comes to fill the spaces of our lives. How might we be more diligent? How might we be more careful, again, in creating space in our lives? Well, the first two are great. Filled with wisdom, passionate about worship. Um, however, as we move on to the third thing that Solomon was known for, this, this now becomes something that we learn from him not to do. The first two are things to do, and this is like, don't do what Solomon did. This is not an exemplary model for us now because as we move to the third, uh, third plate, the third idea is this idea that um, Solomon was ultimately led astray by women. 700 wives, 300 concubines. 
Yeah, he, he, can I, Anders is applauding. I mean, this is, this is uh, <laughs> the lone solitary, is that good? It's impressive, right? These are Wilt Chamberlain standards that we have reached here with Solomon, and uh, it is not a pretty sight. Um, we actually heard just a slight reference to it at the beginning of the passage that we read when he talks about taking the uh, daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, as his wife. And, and from there it just, uh, you know, snowballed. Thanks. I started to say steamrolled, and that's not quite what I was after. But chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Flip over to chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. So let me read this for you. I think it will be on the screen as well. King Solomon, however loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. He had a thing for foreign women. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. They were from nations, but listen to this, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. Those numbers are correct, not a misprint. In fact, most scholars think that was just kind of, you know, Round numbers. It could have been even more. Polygamy, culturally accepted in that day, but had been forbidden by God, especially for the king. Deuteronomy 17 says explicitly, the king shall not have more than one wife because they will lead the king astray. And that's exactly what we see happening in Solomon's life. He had contributed so much to the life of Israel and has contributed so much to us even as we read the Proverbs still in our day. And yet, after all this, his choices and behavior late in life would kind of undo everything, nearly everything, for the nation of Israel that he had done. This one who had received the gift of God's wisdom. This one who had reached the highest levels of godly discernment was now acting the complete fool. This one, and that's why I read, read verse 6 for you in particular, who had built the temple of the Lord, right? This one who had been passionate about creating space for God because of the influence of his foreign wives who worshipped foreign gods, now began to build shrines and temples to the gods of the other nations around Israel. And because of his idolatry, idolatry we'll go on to read there, God would say that he would tear the kingdom away from him. He wouldn't do it just from him, but he would do it from his son and split the nation in two, as we'll read about next week. And the example just shows how quickly things can come unraveled and how tragic the consequences of our poor choices can be. The truth is that whether it's women or men or a hobby or a habit, a job or a possession, there are any number of things that can lead us astray from the living God. We probably don't have to think too long to think about what that thing might be for us. And we don't have to think too long either about how tragic the consequences of such a decision could be for us. We must remain vigilant. Solomon's example is a warning to us to remain vigilant and not allowing our lives to be turned away from God. As we get older, it would be easy to coast, easy to let our guard down, easy to grow overconfident. This, my friends, is a fight to the end. The battle is never over. Many of us are going to go to this play next Saturday called The Screwtape Letters, based on a book by C.S. Lewis. 
If you're not going to the play, you can read the book. I think we have it in our church library. It will help you. The, the book is, and the play will be, sorry to give it away for those of you who are going, spoiler alert, but uh, it's essentially about a senior demon writing letters to his nephew, junior demon, about how to trip up a human being and how to lead him astray from the one that these demons call the enemy, God himself. And the subtle ways, the very oh-so-subtle ways that the devil would lead us astray from our relationship with God. Sometimes, uh, in fact, it's just getting the person to be a little bit lazy. And sometimes it's a little bit stronger. But all these different examples, these different ways. I'm reminded of First Peter when he tells us that, that uh, there is uh, one like a lion prowling about looking for someone to devour. And I think if those of you who have heard me preach for very long, you know that I'm not typically looking for the demons, you know, under every rock. I'm not a Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it kind of guy by any means. But we cannot argue with the biblical witness to the fact that there is an enemy of our souls. There is a, a thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Our, our uh, war, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities of this world. And, and so we have to remember that in this, in this life that we are living, that there are going to be things that are coming at us that will seek to distract and to lead us astray. I'm so glad for the examples of so many in our congregation. Look around for just a minute at some of the people with white hair. Would you do that? I'm so thankful. Find a white-haired person. Find a white-haired person and just tell them, just right now, just mouth the words, thank you. Just thank you to the white-haired people around us who are not only growing older, but they're growing closer to Jesus. Thank you. I don't mean to single you out, but you're awesome. You're helping us. And you're doing what Solomon didn't do, and that's finish well. And, and oh, that we would all finish well. And I realize that if we're still breathing, uh, there's still a chance that we might not. And there's always one who would come after us, no matter what stage of our journey. But uh, as we move closer to the end of our days, may we always make it our desire to move closer to Jesus and to the things that would draw us to him and not away from him. Well, I want to suggest that most of the time, I'll try to do this here quickly, but uh, most of the time people like Solomon, like you and me, are not led astray just kind of overnight. I don't think that most of the time that uh, it's just a one-time decision and we turn away from God, but that it's over, it's over a period, over a, a process that we just kind of slip. We, we kind of make this decision, and then because of that one, we, well, we might as well do this one too, and well, since I did that, I might as well do this. And It's over a, a series of decisions that we've found ourselves far from God. Typically, we don't just wake up one day and decide that today is a day I'm going to turn my back on God and just kind of ruin everything. Why not today? No, typically not the case. Instead, one of the main reasons this happens, I think, is because we allow ourselves to have these blind spots, these things that we, maybe we know they're there, and we just ignore them, or we kind of, you know, just don't want to look at them, these things that are going on in our lives that we just or maybe we're just totally unaware. We're just ignorant of these things that are happening in our lives. And so we just don't see them. And these things just kind of linger. And they pull on us. And they distract us. And they're the things that cause us over time to find ourselves far from where we had hoped to be. Solomon wasn't led astray until he was older. But I believe that the process that would ultimately lead to this had begun several years earlier. Blind spots. Vulnerabilities in Solomon's life, that had he been able to address them earlier, might have saved him and Israel from the mess that he eventually got himself into. 
but he couldn't see them or he wouldn't see them. Let me just point out a couple and see how they apply to us here today. Um, I, I think one of the first was back there in 3.1 when we read of the marriage alliance that he had with the Egyptian princess. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. Just leave that up for a second. A couple things here. Uh, Solomon's a real romantic, isn't he? Look at the love that he had for the princess of Egypt. No, he's just making an alliance. He's protecting himself. He's shoring up his borders. It does say that he developed a love for these women, but initially it's political. And who is Solomon looking out for at this point? The princess of Egypt? His own security, his own kingdom, his own realm. And, and here he is making these alliances. Not, not only was he some romantic, but who is he making this alliance with? Egypt. What was Egypt's relationship with Israel to this point? Hadn't been so good. Remember about a 400-year period or so when Israel was enslaved by Egypt? And how quickly Solomon seems to forget. And not only is he just kind of trying to relate well with this nation, but he's making an alliance with this king and with this nation. It uh, seems to me that Solomon's life needs to teach us something about the danger of uh, making alliances. The, the blind spot that we can so easily... I, I would... I would suggest that nearly, I, I want to say all of us, but at least nearly all of us at some point in our life have been tempted to ally ourselves with people other than those that God would have us to ally ourselves with, to stand arm to arm in the trenches with those who don't share the values or the life that God has called us to. This is a prevailing temptation in our world and in our life. And Solomon's life shows the great danger of this. Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks about not being unequally yoked. He also writes about how bad company corrupts good character. How easily it is to get connected in a relationship with a classmate or a co-worker. To form a bond with them. To align our lives in a sense with them and then to find ourselves more connected and more influenced by their way of thinking perhaps than by the way of thinking that we know would be God's design and desire for us. I'm not talking about not being friends. Be friends with all the people that you possibly can. Be a human. Relate to each other. Love people well. But I think you know what I'm talking about. This arm-to-arm in the trenches, allied together, deeply bonded and connected with people that don't share a system of values or a way of belief can be very devastating. As we allow those values, perspectives, attitudes, viewpoints to seep into our own and it may just seem so innocent, so simple, so not a problem. And you can kind of imagine Solomon himself, especially after God had given him all this wisdom, saying, I'm the smartest man in the world. I can handle this. And how many times have we said, I can handle this? And yet the consequences have proved devastating time and time again. Let's be careful about the alliances that we're making. Another blind spot I see in verse 3, there of chapter 3. Um, Solomon here it is, showed his love for the Lord. This is great, by walking according to the statutes of his father David. Except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. I'm just calling this one the except that blind spot. Except that blind spot. This is the one where Solomon was doing everything that he needed to do. He was 
following the statutes that his father David had followed. He was proving his love for God. Except for just this, ah, just this one little thing. Got it all going right. This is nails. I'm on it. Love the Lord. Following him wholeheartedly. Except for this little thing right here. It was in, in, inappropriate worship practices. They talked about how he was offering sacrifices at the high places. And there's a lot of debate about what was actually going on here among scholars. But most of them think that these high places were former um, idol or, or foreign god temples and shrines that when Israel had come into the land of Canaan, the promised land, they had basically kind of kicked those other gods out and set these shrines up to be places where they could worship the living God, and yet there was still some sense that there was worship of these other gods happening there too, and, and, and the biblical writers and the narrator of the story just recognizes the danger of mixing our worship, aligning ourselves with God, and yet just this accept that. Um, only a matter of time before the Israelites who call the one true God their God would be, their worship would be watered down. Solomon is making compromises. That's essentially what's going on here. Solomon is making compromises. He's doing everything else well, showing his love for the Lord, except that. And I guess the question is, what is the except that in your faith? All is good. God, except for that particular activity. All is good, Pastor. It's all, it's all good. Well, except for, you know, that. But that's that. These are blind spots. Maybe you don't see them until we talk about them. But these are blind spots. If there's a sense that there is an except that somewhere in your life, then that's something to pay attention to. And too often we say, well, you know, I'm just human. I'll kind of get over that. Or that's always going to be there and blah, blah, blah. And so we just kind of let it linger and we let it fester. And these things, it's only a matter of time or who knows when. They rear their ugly head and the consequences are devastating, not only in the practical impact of that, but in the possibility of dragging us away from faith. What do we need to eliminate from our lives? Ruthlessly, as Dallas Willard says, ruthlessly eliminate from our lives. Well, the last one is this. At the end of chapter 6, we read these words. Uh, he had spent seven years building it, building the temple. And then, go ahead there to the beginning of chapter 7, it says this. It took Solomon 13 years, however to complete the construction of his palace. Anybody else find anything interesting or ironic about that? Seven years for the temple. You spent seven years building the temple of God, preparing this space for the presence of God, the name of God to dwell. Wow, you are amazing. You love God desperately. How long did it take you to build your palace? Oh, 13 Almost twice as long spent on my own pad than on that that I make such a big deal of that will house the name and the presence of God. I mean, it's just interesting that the, that the writer, again, the narrator says, however, I mean, he wants us to acknowledge and to see that something is going on here in the character and the person of Solomon. A blind spot, again, yes. Maybe there were some reasons for this. Maybe the permit got held up down at the county office. Maybe the general contractor wasn't as efficient as he needed to be. Or maybe it was that while Solomon cared significantly about the things of God, he cared just a little bit more significantly about the things of Solomon and the things of his own life and his own pursuits. Seven years in the temple, however, 
13 on his pals. Seems that he had a blind spot regarding his priorities. And how easy it is to get our priorities maybe a little out of whack. It may have felt to him and appeared to others that he was doing great things for God, and he was, but ultimately it was, again, half as much as he's doing for himself. Where are the places? Where are we doing things for God? And yet, however, we are still doing even greater things for ourselves. I, I just thought of a few. I go to church all the time. I'm there. I'm worshiping. However, if something better comes up, then I'm there. I give faithfully to the Lord right from my income all the time. However, sometimes it gets a little tight. Sometimes I need a little something extra for myself. I go to my growth group. However, some nights I just need to have a me night. Yes, great. We're doing these things. However, what's the however that you might find yourselves sometimes inserting. I know that there are howevers in my own life. Where are your blind spots? The thing that, about blind spots, by their very name, is that we can't see them. <laughs> so when I ask you what your blind spots are, your reaction really should be, I'm not sure. If you think you got them nailed down, then you better think again. And I'm right back at myself here on this. If I think I know what my blind spots are, those aren't them. Those are the things that you're aware of. The, the blind spots are the things that are, you know, they can't see them in that mirror or that one or that thing right there. Can't see it. But it's, it's there. So how do we discover our blind spots? Thankfully, we have a Holy Spirit who, uh, who has come, who has been sent by God for uh, this express purpose. Jesus said there's one that's coming that will convict the world of righteousness. There's a Holy Spirit that's unleashed and alive in the world who desires, who longs to reveal the blind spots of our lives to our hearts and to our minds. And so maybe you do know them, but it hasn't come because of your own knowledge. It's come because of the Spirit pointing those things out. When I was in college. I used to get together with a bunch of guys once a week. We'd actually, I don't know how long we did this for, but we'd get up pretty early and we'd pray. And we had one prayer request for the Holy Spirit to convict his people. Because we just figured we can't change anybody. We know that. But God can. And it starts with the Spirit convicting us. I wonder if we might, again, wake up each day and say, not only do I need your wisdom, oh God, but would you search me? Would you know my heart? Would you test me? And would you know all my anxious thoughts? Would you just see... Oh, Holy Spirit, if there is any wicked or offensive way in me, and if so, shine your light of grace on it and lead me in the way that is everlasting, that is new, that is full of hope. There are uh, some things other people just can't tell you. Spirit needs to reveal it. Some things people will be able to tell you. If you find yourself responding to godly people with defensiveness and anger, probably a pretty good sign that that's a blind spot. Especially more than one godly person. If you find yourself responding in defensiveness and anger, probably a good sign. Like Solomon, I'm staring at a bunch of people who have incredible things to add to the kingdom, not just of Israel, but the kingdom of God. 
some of you maybe have been derailed already. And you need to know that the forgiveness and the grace of God is such that he can put you right back into a place of blessing and useful service to the kingdom. Some of you have been walking this journey for a while, and maybe there's some blind spots. I just, I, I long and I pray for you, and I'm asking, begging for your prayers for me that, that none of us might be derailed as Solomon was. That the, that the great gifts that God had poured into him and has poured into us might be used for God's glory and his glory alone. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you're teaching us through this man. And thank you for the good things. We want to acknowledge them and we want to be sure to learn from them. We want to be people who are opening ourselves up daily and routinely and moment by moment, if necessary, to the wisdom that you desire to give generously. May we be people who don't just uh, behave like animals, just responding to our, our instinct or our reflex. May we be May we be people who respond as you would have us to respond, filled with the wisdom of God. May we be people who are passionate about creating spaces in our own lives and in a community of faith for you to move and to live and to operate. And may we be people who are at the same time very aware, very open, very desirous of your spirit showing us where the blind spots are that could so easily derail us. God, maybe today you just need to speak to some people or a person about something in particular. Maybe you just need to lift something out of the, out of the, the, the mire. You just need to lift up, a, up a, a thought, an idea that would help some of us to, to move forward and to make the contribution that you're inviting us to make. Uh, don't let us stay there, God, as we move forward with you. We're thankful for your grace, for your forgiveness, and for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We love you, and we worship you now. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name.